Gracious God, you are holy. Think of the picture of the angels in heaven bowing down before you. Think of all the saints that will for all eternity adore you. You are a holy God worthy of our praise. Father, help us to know you more from the preaching of your word. Help us to know Christ. Help us to know ourselves. May Christ be lifted high. May you be made holy in our hearts and in our minds. May your spirit work that we may listen to your word and be different. Help me, Father, to speak with clarity and truth. Father, as the the words of your Son, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, may He be heard this morning. For your glory in Christ's sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Great Fellowship Church. A very uh, eventful week for me. A week called Kidney Stone. There was a lot of things that God taught me this week that I, I want to share with you because I think it's useful. One is, He taught me don't do jumping jacks at 58 years old. We were sitting around talking at the table on Monday and my family, and it was a little heated and people were getting a little stagnant. So I think it was Jack. One of them recommended we do 10 jumping jacks. Somebody did. So we all started doing jumping jacks. Well, they all did, and I sat there. And eventually, I got up into the jumping jacks. And I am now convinced that that's what lo- dislodged that stone to go into my ureter. So I learned that. But really, what I learned I, a number of things. I can't even share all the things that, that God showed me this week, and is still showing me even now. But I was reminded of the stark reality of the actual reality of I have nothing outside of Christ. I mean, literally nothing. Any any level of control that I think I have, I have none. I have I have nothing but my hope in Christ. If God wants to take away my health, He can. And and He will. Uh, on Monday night, so I, I don't remember when it all started, about 1.30 or 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Monday. By Monday night, about 6.30, uh, after lots of lots of pain and, and then some medication in, in the hospital to take away the pain, and um, at about 6.30 or so that evening, apparently the stone moved or something, and God was very kind to me. And That whole night I had no pain. I stayed in the hospital that night. They were going to monitor me for pain, but I had no more medications, pain medications. The stone had moved. And I got to learn that God can be kind to me in that if he wants to be. And he relieves some of that pain. But, but, what, but what, I, what I know is I am so weak and so needy and all I have, all I have is Christ. I am so easily 
distracted from that reality. I'm so easily distracted from the reality of Christ in my life. I was, when I first went in, we didn't know for sure what it was, but, you know, the first ER doctor said I was doing the kidney stone dance, and I, we kind of thought that's what it was. And, and I, I mean, I was in pain, like I, pain like I've never experienced. The closest thing was when I quad ruptured, but I could get my leg in a position back then that it didn't hurt. This pain was just continuous. And, and literally, I got the pain medication and I felt much better. And so the next night when I went in, we knew what it was. They had done a, uh, whatever, tried to break the stone up from the outside on Tuesday morning. By Tuesday afternoon, that hadn't done much. Went back to the emergency room. And again, by the time I get there, I'm, I'm, I'm grumbling and I'm complaining and I'm now, I'm trying to pray, and I'm, I'm trying to sing hymns, and, and I'm just too weak. I'm a weak man. I, I was like, I go in there to ER doctor, and like a junkie, literally, my arm out, saying, give me some medicine. As I got home, uh, my paycheck didn't get there as soon as it normally does. And I've got, we have automatic withdrawals that come out every month, as many of you might. And if that paycheck doesn't hit, those withdrawals come and there's nothing there to pay for them. And I'm like a junkie, hit me. Give me what I need. Friday morning. That was very for my sermon. And I don't know how we got there, but I I was not satisfied with the level of respect and, and honor and service my wife was giving me. And I didn't like it. And I'm hit me. Give me respect. Give me honor. In every one of those occasions, I was reminded, even a little bit, and certainly more as that all goes along, Christ is my only hope. That's all I have. The things of this world, my health, a paycheck, my wife's honor, None of those things are guaranteed. None of those things are sure. But what sure is my hope in Christ? What sure is Christ? What sure is my eternal destiny? And I was reminded of that all week and have been reminded of that throughout the week. I am a weak man. Praise God for all of this week. Those things I just shared with you and everything else I didn't. It was a really good reminder for me. I got to see that most probably a lot of my health is because of the way I deal with stress. 
that I too often am concerned about the outcome of things before me instead of simply being faithful and trusting God. The very things I pastored you on and preached you on and talked to you about reminded how weak I am. I was also thankful for the reminder and his kindness to me to bring me around to a place of understanding again how much I need Christ and how it's really, he's all I have. He's all anyone has. And if you don't have them, you don't have Christ, you absolutely have nothing. Show me what you have if you don't have Christ. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We're going to begin today our look at the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Back in December of 2009. So I started pastoring at Legacy Church before we were Grace Fellowship Church in October of 2008. In December of 2009, we made our way to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And for about nine months, we went through the Sermon on the Mount and got done sometime in September or so. And as I was preparing this week and I was remembering and thinking how meaningful a time that was for our young church back then, how, how, how impactful it was as we, as we focused on Christ's words for such a sustained period of time. Some of you can probably remember that. And as we went farther along in Matthew, in chapter 10, and we had people leaving, and we had people upset, and we had people growing, and it was a wonderful time. It's funny, Tanner's here. Tanner, you know, hasn't been here for a while, and he'll probably remember some things I talk about today because I think that was a very impactful time for our church, going through the Sermon on the Mount. I'm very excited to see what God will do in 2022 as we go through Christ's words through Luke's quill or read pen or whatever it was. I don't know what they wrote with. I think they wrote with like a piece of wood that was like in the pencil form and they dipped it in something, whatever. So let's stand and uh, we will read Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. We're going to see here what's known as the Beatitudes. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You may be seated. Um, The first portion of the Sermon on the Mount is known as the Beatitudes. That's what we just looked at. Uh, uh, The Beatitudes aren't Like, I don't know, when I was younger, whenever I heard that, I thought it was like how you're supposed to act, like the beatitudes. Well, beatitudes is from a Latin word beatus, which means blessing. 
This is the blessings. That's what Beatitudes are. The blessings. Uh, the, 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 what we're going to look at is, is pretty clearly the same thing that Matthew recorded in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And if you think about it, you'll see that they're different because we're going to compare to Matthew and some, we're going to refer to that some. But I think about today, some of you take notes. Not all of you take notes. A few of you do. And if I were to look at your notes at the end of this, this time together, your notes would look different. You would highlight different things. You would, say, you would get different things out of that. So, so we simply have Luke writing down his, his recollection, led by the Spirit of God, exactly the words we are to have here today, Luke's writing as compared to Matthew's. So that's where you see some of the, different, some of the differences. It could have been two different sermons. Clearly, Jesus would go and Jesus would go and preach the same things many places. So it could have been two different happenings, but most likely it's the same sermon from the Sermon on the Mount. So, for instance, in Luke's Gospel, there's four blessings listed. In, in Matthew's, there's nine. So, um, Luke, we're going to see, he, he, he puts the blessings over and against woes. Matthew doesn't do that. It's implied in what Matthew's written down, but it's, but it's different. So we're going to look at these seven verses a little bit different than we, we normally do, as opposed to just going verse by verse. We'll actually go into this and, and, and take the, the bless and the woe and put those two together as we go through the next few weeks. So this begins, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, remember, he'd been on the mount all night. He knew that his ministry was going to come to an end at some point. He knew he was going to die. He had called the apostle out. of. Remember, he had a bunch of disciples. We, we talked about three groups last week. But he had disciples. These were learners. These were people that were following him. And, and inside of that, he chose 12 to be his apostles. The, the, the 12 main men, if you will, 11 and then Judas Iscariot, the, the 11 main men who would be his messengers, apostles, they would take the message forward when he, when he was crucified. And then you had the multitudes that were coming from all over, even up into Tyre and Sidon, even the Gentile region. But, but he turns and speaks to his disciples. So it's not the apostles. He's talking to his followers. Most of his followers would have been Jewish. Some of them might not have been, but most of them would have been Jewish. And so this is who he's talking to. He's, 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 addressing, he's addressing these, these learners, these disciples. And, and what, what he is doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount is he's helping them to discern whether they are right with God or under God's judgment. And that's, that's what he's doing to this bigger group of learners. Helping them to discern, are they blessed or do they have woes coming? Are they cursed? The, the, the Sermon on the Mount is not, as many people have taught it through the years, it's not a how to act. It's not a what you're supposed to do. It's not do this and be blessed. Blessed you are because you are these things. You are poor. You are hungry. You are right in those ways because you're blessed. But, but blessings are only available in and through Jesus Christ. 
It's not something you go get by being. It's something you be because you've gotten. Not a list of virtues to pursue. You are either, listen, you are either blessed or you are cursed. There is no in-between. Everybody in this room today is either blessed or they are cursed. Now, those that are cursed, (laughs) that will in time be blessed, that God decided before time began, will cross over to a new category. And that's part of what will happen when the, the Word of God is preached. That some of those who actually are intended to be blessed by God or were blessed with Him before time began by Him, that will come to fruition in time. But know this, you're either blessed or you're cursed. And the way that you're going to, we're going to discern that is by we're going to see the Word of God and we're going to see what describes us, what describes you. Jesus is, in essence, preaching and making available blessings to those who can hear and curses to those who cannot. He who has ears, let him hear. So, today, he who has ears, let him hear. Blessed are versus woe to. Two categories of people. Two conditions of their eternal soul. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Blessed if you're poor, if you're hungry, if you're sorrowful, and if you're hated. So what does this thing blessed mean? The, the Greek word is makarios. Makarios, and it means blessed or happy. It is it, now in their in the in the way the word was utilized in their language, it was a a a happiness or a blessedness that was reserved for the gods. The word means blessed, content, fulfilled, complete, happy. But what the listener would have understood when Jesus would have said makarios. Well, actually, he would have said probably in Aramaic, but was written in Makarios by, the, by Luke, is they would have heard a blessedness that's reserved for the gods. Or for a Jew, blessedness that is reserved for God. This was an unattainable happiness, an unattainable blessedness. So, so happiness or happy is not... A feeling based on happenstance. God doesn't care about our happiness. He cares about our holiness. But we, we, makarios, means we are blessed. We are happy. It's a supernatural contentment 
that was reserved for their gods, if for the Gentiles, or for God. It was a supernatural contentment, fulfillment, joy that only God could know. Both for the Jews and the Gentiles listening, that word would have stricken that up and brought that up in their mind. So for these Jews, most of these disciples would have been Jews who would have understood that this Makarios was something that was what Yahweh had, what God had. The word Makarios is used in Psalm 119.12, for instance, in the Septuagint. Blessed are you, O Lord, Yahweh, teach me your statutes. God is blessed. God is content. God is fulfilled. First Timothy 1.11, Paul writes, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, Makarios. Blessed, blessedness is a character trait of God himself. Jesus, the Son of God, is blessed as well. First Timothy 6.15, which he will display at the proper time. He, Jesus, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God the Father is blessed. God the Son is blessed. Mankind isn't able to attain this blessedness. It's not available to mankind. So what Jesus is saying when he's saying this is, Makarios, this special sort of contentment and blessedness that is only, only for God, or if you're a Gentile, the gods, this is actually available. When Jesus says, blessed are you if you are poor. He's saying, if you're poor, you're blessed. You have a contentment that only God has. So, there is a, he's telling them, there is a way to be blessed. And it's not, you know, it's not by your religion, which we'll get into all of that. But he's, there is a way to have this contentment, this joy that's only available to God. But there's no true blessedness, as he's going to go through, apart from Christ. There's no true blessedness for those who are outside of Christ. But for those who partake of Christ, blessedness is available. Second Peter 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. You can become partakers of the divine nature. You can become partakers of blessedness. We can partake of one of the character traits of God. We can partake of this divine nature by knowing Christ. This, again, 
it's important for us to know this word he would have used would have in the listeners' minds brought up this thought of a supernatural contentment reserved for God. What everyone's after. This joy, this happiness. And that that blessedness is present in any of those listening who were poor, hungry, sorrowful, and hated. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep now. Blessed are you when people hate you. But if you aren't blessed, then in verse 24, Jesus gives the contrast. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Woe. Uai. Uai, it means horror, dread, woe, deep suffering from affliction, grief, regret, distress. So again, these Jewish listeners with this word, uai, uai, would have, would have conjured up something in them that they would know this word even as it, as it came from the Old Testament. God's curses or his woes that they knew of in the Old Testament, like in Hosea 7. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me, destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. In Hosea 9.12, even if they bring up children, I will bereave them till none is left. Woe to them when I depart from them. God's greatest earthly blessing of children was going to be withdrawn from Israel. Woe to them. Horror, dread, deep suffering. Hosea's contemporary, Isaiah speaking of Judah. The word in Isaiah 1 for ah is actually the same word for woe. Woe, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Isaiah 3, 9, for the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. Horror, dread. For they have brought evil on themselves. In Isaiah 5, 18. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart rope, who say, let him be quick. Let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Look, we don't have to look far to see woes that are upon people who call evil good and good evil. It's exactly the, the world we're living in right now. They call castration of young boys and breast binding of young women good. And it's evil. Woe to them. Woe to you if you think that's okay. Woe to you who says divorce is good. God says it's not good. Woe to you if you say, like TGC wants to say now, we have to recognize homosexual unions. Woe to you. 
Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. You know, we give confessions of being wise in our own eyes. We ought to be careful with how flippantly we go around being wise in our own eyes. And shrewd in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. Woe to. No Jew would want to hear woe. So when Jesus says, woe to those in this Sermon on the Mount, that gets a Jew's attention. Horror. Dread. The the dreadful horror of God's angry judgment. In Jude 3, Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. It's exactly what TGC is doing, or TCG or whatever it is. Now I want to remind you, although... You once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who do not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of that great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued a natural desire, serve an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. And the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves. Woe! destruction, condemnation. Revelation 8.13 Then I looked, heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on earth. Those who are left behind when earth is destroyed. Woe. Revelation 12.12 Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell by them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Jesus... Jesus is telling his listeners, look, you're in one of two conditions. You're either blessed or you're cursed. And now let me tell you how you can discern which you are. There is, there, look, there is no neutrality. There is no middle category. either blessed or cursed. And I'm sure I will continue to say this throughout this time in this the Beatitudes, but we need to understand that. We need to believe that and understand that. It's one of two places. Everyone is in one of two conditions. And here's how you can know. So he starts then in here. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. The first 
sign of being blessed that Jesus gives is to be poor. And the reason he gives that first is because in the book of Matthew, it's more obvious because there's more of them, but it is the entry point. Without being poor, there are none of the other blessings to follow or none of the other characteristics to follow. Blessed are you who are poor. The word is patokos, from patasso, to crouch or cower like a beggar, deeply destitute, completely lacking resources. The word here that was used to describe one who was totally dependent upon others, who had no means of self-sustenance. Patokos, completely destitute, without any ability to care for themselves. That is what the word meant. It is the word that's used of uh, Lazarus in Luke 16. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sword. This patokos is the word we see here, a poor man, Lazarus. This man, this crippled man had no way to even feed himself except if crumbs would fall off of a table. He couldn't even defend himself from dogs licking his sores. Other people would have to come and shoo the dogs away. This is how... Dependent, Patokos is. They had nothing. He was Patokos. There's another word for poor that's used in the Gospel of Luke and in the Scriptures. We find it concerning the, the poor widow. In Luke 21, 2, he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. That word there is Panakras. It means poor. But you notice, this lady actually had coins to put in. Panakras would not be nearly enough to describe Patokos. Jesus used the word that would bring into their minds utter dependence, completely destitute, without any way of self-sustenance. So he says, Patokos, that kind of a person, that couldn't even provide for themselves. This, this person would be so embarrassed. This person would be a beggar. And you'll remember this. I'm sure of it. The picture of Patokos is like this. A beggar who is so destitute and so ashamed, they will not even look up. They will simply hold their hand out to be given something. They're, they're, they're so destitute. They're so ashamed. In order to be blessed, we have to be poor. Does that mean we have to be materially poor? Because if being unable to care for oneself physically is a 
prerequisite to getting into the kingdom of God, none of us are going. In Matthew's Gospel, we see, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's what Luke is speaking about here. Not earthly poverty, but the word patokos, to draw in their minds, you have to be that spiritually bankrupt. Spiritual poverty. Spiritually destitute. With no help, no hope, I should say, of self-sustenance. One who understands that they're helpless and they're hopeless and they're lost and they're separated from God have no spiritual pride, no self-righteousness, completely helpless, a beggar, spiritually empty. God, I can't even look up. I'm without hope. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We'll get there. Isaiah 66, 2. All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look, to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Contrite in spirit. Not some superficial brokenness. Not some worldly sorrow that's leading to death. No, no, an actual humble, contrite spirit with this deep understanding of their destitute, hopeless spiritual state. This is how we come to the Lord, and this is how we stay in the Lord. Psalm thirty four eighteen. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. There is no blessedness unless you are poor in spirit. It's only for those who are poor in spirit. A beggar before God, totally aware that, that, that there is nothing that they are able to do to provide for their own spiritual well-being. Remember David's words in Psalm 51 when his, in his repentance process of, of his sin with Bathsheba and the extended sin? 51.17 The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. Crushed. Broken. Ashamed. Spiritually hopeless. Some of you might be sitting there saying, Ah! You know, I don't remember being like that. I don't experientially remember recognizing that level that you're describing. Ask yourself, is it true of you today? Do you see yourself as without hope outside of Christ? Do you see yourself as that broken hearted, that needy? 
Because if you do, praise the Lord. But just know this. Jesus says, blessed. Who's going to have the kingdom of heaven is those who are poor in spirit. That's how we come to Christ, and that's how we stay in Christ, by His grace. There is no other way. There's not another gospel. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Then he contrasts it down in verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Plausius, rich, wealthy, in abundance, pertaining to that which is in large amount. Wealthy. Woe to you who are wealthy. James 5.1, as we see the word there, Come now, you Falsius, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. If you're satisfied with your earthly riches, if you're satisfied with your earthly stature, if your life is about building this wealth on this earth, and that satisfies you, woe to you. You're cursed. If you're, if you're satisfied with your piety, your religiosity, your efforts, you're cursed. See, this is the, this is the danger of Catholicism. This is what those you love that are in Catholicism, really, this is what they experience. Their hope is in their religion. Their hope is in their doing better, doing the sacraments, doing the things. Revelation 3.17, for you say, I am Plausius, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Your wealth means nothing. Your religion is worthless. Do you know that? See, if someone with earthly wealth was cursed, just about everyone in here is cursed as I look around. It's not if you have earthly wealth. Is there, are you satisfied in it? Is that what you're really after? It's not your piety. Is that what you're after? Some religious standard. Then you're cursed. You're destitute. You're a beggar. I ought not even look up at God. Expecting anything. But by His grace I can with confidence. If you think, just examine yourself. Really, he who has ears, let him hear. Are the riches of this world satisfying you and me? Because if they are, we're cursed. The kingdom of heaven is not ours. 
Do you think, look, if you, if you, again, if you actually believe somewhere deep down that your religion, your piety is good enough, you're cursed. Somehow you've hit the mark. You're cursed. We come to Christ poor in spirit and we stay in Christ poor in spirit. We know the illustration, but it's so crystal clear. In Luke 18, he also told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you. Good start. Being thankful to God? Ought we not be thankful to God? He says, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I thank you, God, I'm better than them. He's received his consolation. Beat the guy next to you on this planet. You're wrong, but that's what you think. Hey, hey, look, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. Wouldn't even presume to talk that way to God. Standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We come to Christ beating our chest, not looking up, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we stay in Christ, saying, God, be merciful to me. Not, God, thank you, I've arrived. Not like that guy. You know, Jason, that guy's got issues. Good thing I don't. I've received my consolation. And I'm headed straight to hell. If that's who I am and that's what I think. That tax collector is humble. He's broken. He knows he needs mercy. This, 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 this Pharisee who's rich. He had worldly wealth. All Pharisees did. He also was rich in his religion. That could be in this room. After, look, the kingdom of heaven is for the poor in spirit. Not trusting in themselves at all. What did Peter say after Jesus caught fish that Peter didn't think were there? Depart from me, 
I am a sinful man. You are so holy. Moses and Gideon, what did, how did they respond when they were called upon? Yep, you got the right guy. With humility. Paul, nothing good dwells in me. I'm the chief of all sinners. And not just some words we speak, like we want to check that box. He who has ears, let him hear. Is this how you came to Christ? Is this how you were remaining in Christ? It must be. In Psalm 131.2, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. The psalmist has weaned himself away from any hope in self. Our souls are weaned from any hope in ourselves if we are poor in spirit. Self is nothing. Christ is everything. Galatians 2.20, what does it say? I've been crucified with Christ. Not who I, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Are we living as dead men and women? Those who are poor in spirit do. We're done with trusting in ourselves for any of our spiritual health. To live as Christ, Paul says. To die as gain. Are we living like that? If, if we are poor in spirit, then we won't focus on our current sufferings as, as if we deserve something better. <laughs> ah. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. If we are, we are truly poor in spirit, we are blessed. We have happiness, contentment in our present circumstances. We're not the junkie saying, hit me. And when we are the junkie saying, hit me, we repent. And we remember our need for Christ. And we, we go back to that same poor in spirit place that we remain. We loop and we, we find hope in Christ that we don't loop. And when we loop, we aren't going to trust in our performance, are we? Because we're that needy. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing from selfish ambition. Or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Are you proud of your religious accomplishments? 
Are you happy of your Bible knowledge over the next guy? Are you happy you don't sin like Julie? I mean, I might sin, but at least I don't sin like Julie. Are we, are we, if we're poor in spirit, there's, there's nothing in us that has us think we're a better Christian than the person next to us. The Christian next to us. Are you poor or are you rich? Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Poor in spirit, not expecting more from our brothers and sisters. Not expecting to receive more, expecting to give more. If we're poor in spirit. Poor or rich. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We cannot and will not see God without the righteousness of Christ. If we are poor in spirit, we know that. Even as I'm talking and you might say, oh, I struggle. I struggle with looking down my nose at other Christians. But if we're poor in spirit, we know that our entry point is not in our sin. It's in our Lord. If we're poor in spirit. Poor people. People who know they are spiritually destitute. They're thankful to God and praise Him for it. They thank, they're thankful to God for His grace in their life. And they praise Him for it. You see, a thankless person is not a poor person. You think about that truly poor person who actually somebody puts a loaf of bread in their hand. When they're truly poor and without food, they are thankful. Not the guy out there faking it like some Christians want to do and asking God for things and then some pious, some fake thankfulness. No, truly thankful. Look at me. I am not worthy, God. But I am thankful. Poor in spirit means we will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Poor people are thankful for the provision. They're not entitled to it. Listen, rich people are entitled. They think think this country is filled with a bunch of People who think they deserve everything they're given. They think they're they're entitled to all of these provisions. But we know we're not entitled to any of God's spiritual health, any of His grace. We're not entitled to any of it. We're thankful for it. Because He doesn't owe us any of that. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Are you poor or rich? Destitute or self-sufficient? 
Tax collector or Pharisee? See, people who are poor in spirit don't continue in their sin. What is in store for those who are poor in spirit? Blessed are you are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Isaiah 57, 15, memory verse for this week. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. Here's what we have when we're poor in spirit. God indwelling us. God reviving us. God taking that contrition and that brokenness and giving us joy and happiness and blessedness. God will dwell with us now and forever. But He will not dwell with those who are rich, who've already received their consolation. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Are you spiritually like Lazarus? Are you doing okay on your own? Here's my instruction from God via James. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord. Turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Humble yourself. Closing thought. Being poor and needy is a necessary realization of everyone who is truly going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Notice, I didn't say having been poor and needy. Being poor and needy. Currently, as well as at conversion. Being poor and needy is a necessary realization of everyone who is truly going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. For those who have not recognized their spiritual poverty, eternal horror, dread, and deep suffering await. Humble yourself and He will lift you up. If you have not seen your hopelessness, If you have not seen your sinfulness and what it will cost you. If you are, even if you are a member of this church who sees today you actually are discerning curses. Then humble yourself before the Lord. Repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ.
you will not see the kingdom of heaven if you're rich. Only if you're poor. Gracious Heavenly Father, it is your grace that would be poured out upon your people to see our spiritual brokenness, our being destitute, our inability to be right, live right. Father, it is is your grace that would have us to see that we are not better than any other Christian. We in and of ourselves are not better than any other human. Father, I pray that you would have us to be a humble, poor, broken-hearted people. That you would exalt us. You would lift us up. Father, that we may live our lives in a way that shows a dependency upon Christ. Forgive us, Father. Forgive me. For my dependence on anything other than Him. My hope being in anything other than Him. Help us, Father. Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. His mercy is more on your handout. His mercy is more.